Welcome to the Day One Podcast, the only podcast where practitioners in research and insights learn what's hot and what's not in the world of market research. This is your host, Hannah Mann. Hello, I'm Hannah Mann and welcome to the Day One Podcast. This is now episode number seven and today we have another fantastic guest. I'm delighted to introduce James Wichley to the podcast. So James joined the Insight Management Academy, the IMA, as Chief Executive in May 2015, and that was after 20 years at Barclays, 10 of which were spent as Director of Customer Insight and Analysis. He's an expert on insight strategy and insight team transformation, knowledge development and communication, and he represented Barclays at the IMA's Insight Forums for over a decade before joining the IMA team himself. James has delivered consultancy and keynote presentations in Europe, North America, Australia, India and the Middle East and has lectured at the Winchester, Anglia and Ashridge Business Schools. He's the author of over 30 IMA publications and has just published a new book, Transforming Insight, The 42 Secrets of Successful Corporate Insight Teams. So welcome, James, to the Day One podcast and congratulations on your recent book publication. Thank you very much, Hannah. It's a pleasure to join you. Brilliant. So my first question actually to you is, how did you find the whole experience of writing your own book? I'm always in awe of anybody who has the time and the knowledge really to write their own book. So how did you find it? Well, I guess it was a product of unusual circumstances last year in many ways. I'd had it in mind for a time that I would like to write a book because it felt to me that it was the a natural progression from the reports and guides which we write for our members at the IMA. But I just never had the, the time and space to do it. But then in the early months of the lockdown last year, I was suddenly faced with a situation where we couldn't hold our normal insight forums, couldn't meet in London and Manchester. We couldn't visit organisations to go and do training and, and team development. and there was a, I guess, a, a gap in the, the normal demand for the team development support that we would try to provide for people. I did got organizations who were just so flat out busy that they really hadn't got time to think about team development. Or at the other end of the scale, you'd got organizations who were furloughing their insight teams along with much of their, their head office staff um, while they, they coped with the lockdowns. But so it really just gave me a, a one-off opportunity. So I have a, a rather rose-tinted view, I'm afraid, of the of the first few months of the, the lockdown of spending those incredibly hot, sunny months that we had in April, May, June, July 2020, sitting in my garden, starting at 8 o'clock every morning, writing the book, thoroughly enjoying the experience, actually. But I think being very conscious at the time that if I didn't crack through it then, there would probably never be quite another opportunity like it. Uh, so I, I'm very glad that I did it, certainly. Yeah, a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to write a book, I guess. A, a pandemic hopefully won't have another one. So I guess what advice would you give to anyone who's listening who sort of feels like they might have a business book in them but just hasn't yet put pen to paper? Have you got any advice for, for people who are contemplating writing a book? Well, I wouldn't want to hold myself up as a, an expert author. I suppose, as with any piece of writing, really, lots of people have a, an incredible amount of knowledge and experience in their head that would be useful for other people. It's a question of having the confidence and then designing a structure and then having the discipline to really set down your thoughts on paper. And I certainly found that 
in many ways, I, I, I guess the most difficult bit was deciding what it was that I was going to do. Once I decided on a framework, the amount of space that I was going to give to each chapter, the structure that the chapters were going to take, the the flow of the narrative within the chapters, the decision to have a, a summary key point at the end of each chapter and then a link into the, the following chapter. Once I've got those design items sorted out, then I actually found the writing quite easy. But then I am in a fortunate position that I had all the, the wealth of Insight Management Academy best practice material to draw on. And as the Insight Forums have been meeting now for 17 years, there was never going to be a shortage of material. It was really going to be more about the design and then the discipline of cracking through with it. Brilliant. So I just want to go back actually now, take you back to the start of your career. So obviously they're sort of reading out some of your achievements over your career so far, but how did it all start for you? How did you even get into this industry? I'm always again really intrigued to see how people have, you know, how their different journeys have, have taken place. Yes, I'm always intrigued by that as well. And I ask a similar sort of question when I, I'm doing interviews on, on stage at Quirks and other conferences. The, the answer I hear then is the one I'm going to start with by accident. So I joined Insight by accident before it was called Insight. I left university. I joined Barclays Graduate Leadership Program. I found myself working on strategic marketing projects. And I was fortunate in retrospect, to work on a number of projects that had a a great deal of requirement for customer data. Now, Barclays then, as now, uh, like most big banks, it's an absolute treasure trove of customer information. I always used to say to people, if you can imagine all the information that's on your current account statement and your credit card statement every month, and then in Barclays' case at the time, multiply it by 15 million people, that's the, the wealth of, of knowledge that the organization has to draw on. And so it was not a question of having data. It was a question of understanding how that data was structured and how it could be applied to, to business decisions. So I moved into a, a group which was bizarrely, perhaps, or fortunately, I'm not sure, referred to as a strategy through data. And it was a tiny team. There were only four of us. But we had fun for a two or three years, finding projects that the bank was working on, which would be better informed by using customer market intelligence of some sort, and then figuring out how we could try to make the bank's decisions more sensible, more commercially viable, more successfully integrated with what customers said, thought, and did than they would otherwise have been. And that was the start of it. It wasn't referred to as insight at that point, but it was really the start of my fascination with data and how it can be turned into intelligence and how that intelligence can inform decisions. And after a while, I was given responsibility for pulling together Barclays' first comprehensive customer insight department. So I had the chance to manage not only the analysts, that I've been working with, but also all the market researchers and the competitor intelligence teams. And that really, for me, was the start of of thinking far more widely about how the things that we know about the markets in which consumers um, live, the way in which consumers become customers of an organization, and the way in which customers can create or indeed destroy value for an organization. Well, that's such powerful knowledge that we really ought to bear on lots more business decisions. 
I mean, I must I imagine you must have seen a lot of change over the last 20, 30 years in terms of the data that we have access to and how we can analyse it. So I imagine you've you've sort of seen that firsthand, especially as you say, somewhere like Barclays, where you have access to so much information at your fingertips. Absolutely. I think Barclays at the time and other big banks, to an extent, mobile phone companies and maybe utility companies were one of relatively few sectors that had such large amounts of data about individual customers from such an early stage. I'm talking about the late 1990s here in my instance. But of course, what's happened over the the 20 years that have followed is that organizations that never knew who their end customers were before have started selling things online. Many more have now started interacting with people through social media. And a market has sprung up in third-party data and secondary data that enables organizations of all shapes and sizes to have a far more granular understanding of consumers in a marketplace. And running alongside that, of course, we've had big developments in our ability to understand why people do things that they do. I'm thinking about all the developments in behavioral economics and behavioral science, which help us not only to have a better idea of what data to go and look for in the first place, but then a a better understanding of how to interpret it once we've found that data. To complete the picture, I guess uh, the appetite of senior directors in organisations to use customer and market insight. Sometimes you hear that in phrases like, we need to become more evidence-driven. Sometimes it's about becoming more customer-centric. But there have been a, a whole cohort of senior executives promoted over those 20 years from backgrounds in maybe marketing or other customer functions. And the voice of those people at the board table is now so much more powerful than it was. And that's just generated so much more demand for insight in the first place. Well, I think that probably leads us quite nicely on to our main subject of the day, which is obviously Room 101 and what you would like to put into Room 101 to sort of banish from our industry forever. So as you know, you have three things that you can opt to put into Room 101 and it can be anything at all. So methodology, an approach or a philosophy, doesn't matter. But at the end of our discussion, I am going to only let you put one thing in and I'm going to choose that. So you've got to argue each case quite passionately. And if there's something that you would prefer to be put into room 101 than the other, then you obviously need to argue strongly for that at the end of the discussion. So shall we start off with your first thing that you want to banish? What 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 is that? So my first pick, I would like to put into room 101 Market research teams. Okay. Would you like to expand why? What what have market research teams done that is so bad? <laughs> well, I'm joking, or at least I'm being a little bit provocative. What I want to put into room one is not really market research teams, because, of course, the work that market research teams do within big organisations is absolutely fundamental to customer insight work. It's rather that I would like to banish the naming convention of having functions labelled market research or indeed customer analysis or analytics or competitor intelligence. My point is that we need all these technical disciplines, but they're really important to our understanding of customers, markets and consumers. But they're functions which are means to an end. And 
The purpose of an insight team is to identify value for its organization, I believe, to identify and solve business problems, to identify opportunities for the organization to become more commercially successful or otherwise achieve its its ultimate aims, and then to drive change within its business, so to actually crystallize those opportunities that it discovers. And if we refer to ourselves as research teams or analysis teams, we're there's a danger that we're going to perpetuate the organization's view that we are all about methodology rather than about outcomes. We're all about data or information rather than about insight and intelligence and driving decisions. So I passionately believe that insight teams need to be data and discipline agnostic. We need to focus on the underlying business issue and then draw from a whole range of different sources in order to address that issue as best we can. And I refer in my my book to a process that we call mapping from the market to the money. If insight people can begin every project that they look at with the mindset that they need to think right the way through from the market within which consumers are making decisions to the thought process, the choices, the decisions themselves, through to the activity that those decisions result in, the customer behavior, and then in turn through to the value creation or destruction for an organization, then you get a a far richer sense, I think, of the the spectrum that we need to operate along. And then rather than thinking of ourselves as market researchers or analysts or competitor intelligence people, we can see ourselves as internal consultants who draw upon a whole range of those disciplines in order to inform the work that we do. Okay, so how do we actually make this happen, though? So what needs to fundamentally change within businesses for these teams to operate more like you've described? Well, I think the best do already, or certainly the best strive to on as many occasions as they can. I mentioned earlier that the Insight Forums have been meeting for some 17 years now. And right from the start, when those those groups got together and senior Insight leaders, as we we found ourselves styled uh, for the first time back in 2003, 2004, the conversation there was always about how to make Insight a more effective voice within an organization and a realization that if we continue to focus on the data and the methodology that was that was never going to happen so i guess what's called for here is a a mindset shift on the part of both senior insight people within organizations their team members but ultimately the the organizations that we work within as well but i'm a passionate believer that if insight leaders don't take the role in transforming insight within their companies and the role that it plays then it's not realistic to expect the rest of the organization to suddenly change its mind so this is a classic case of, of biting the bullet and recognizing that insight is never going to achieve the effectiveness that it could achieve and realize its potential unless we do some things quite dramatically different from how we've done them in the past. So have you actually seen this done and done well and witnessed, I guess, the impact that it has on a business if teams operate in this way? I think there are a lot of organizations who are trying to create more joined up insight in this way. But I guess my observation would be that It's something that they haven't necessarily embraced as being the opportunity that Mm -hmm. it really is. So let me give you some examples. So typically, I think what you often find 
is either research and analysis, just using those two as, as obvious examples, research and analysis done in different parts of an organisation, structurally different parts of an organisation with different reporting lines, making it difficult to work uh, in a cooperative way across those two silos. And in turn, that focus forcing the organization to decide how it wants to, to interact with one or the other independently of each other. Another example is market research teams taking responsibility for some data analysts. And I have to say, in quite a lot of cases, I think not really knowing how to get the best out of those data analysts because of the traditional focus within the market research teams of focusing on technology, uh, pardon, methodology, the technical parts of doing their job. It's almost like, and again, I'm not, I'm not trying to sound too critical here, but I, I think it's almost like cohorts of researchers have begun their careers within the supply side of our, our industry, moved into corporate insight roles, but never entirely shed the agency mentality that's associated with the, the work that they do. The, the other example I think is becoming far more prevalent now is of very, very large, in some cases, data analytics teams, particularly in big banks and media organizations, taking responsibility for market research functions. And again, not really knowing how to get the best out of those new disciplines and sources of data and people with different skill sets that they now have responsibility for. So I think there are, there are examples where structurally things are starting to be joined together more frequently. There are examples where structurally reporting lines get in the way. And of course, there are examples where you do have fully comprehensive insight teams that are definitely trying to get the, the best out of, of both worlds. But for most organizations, this is, this is very much something where they're on a journey or at the start of a journey rather than yet having carried it through to its, its logical conclusion, I think. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about it, it sounds quite logical, doesn't it? And obvious that these teams you know, need to be more joined up and less siloed. But I guess, how did we ever get to the point where they became siloed? Is it just that organisations grew so, you know, grew so large that it just sort of happened organically? And now it's almost like reflecting back and, and sort of recognising that that actually doesn't work for the business? Or now, is there a reason why it's become like this, do you think? As you say, I think heritage has a lot to do with it. I'm going to keep my powder dry on, on, on one point that I, I might make because uh, I, I'm aware that I want to get other things into Room 101 and convince you of the, the need to do that in a, in a moment as well. But I think it's true that organisations, research teams and analysis teams started in a place that could, I suppose, be described as service functions within a, an organization. And of course, it was only really a certain number of sectors, big banks being an obvious example, let's say mobile phone companies, media companies, utility companies to an extent, that going back 20 years would have actually known the identity of their, their customers and have an ongoing relationship with them in the first place, such that lots of customer data was created through those relationships, giving them cause to ever have large customer analysis departments. If you worked in a retail department or a service sector and you were not operating online, then there was 
little chance that you would actually know the identity of the people that you are ultimately selling to or have an ongoing relationship with them, unless in the case of a big retailer like, like a, a Walmart or a Tesco or a Boots, you have a loyalty card from a relatively early stage. And so you're collecting data about your end users in, in that respect. So in lots of sectors, insights has really been synonymous with market research for most of its existence. And quite a few research teams relabeled themselves or rebranded themselves as insight, I think without necessarily changing their their mindset and, and behaviors to embrace a, a wider range of data sources and a, a rather more proactive role. The Day One podcast is brought to you by research and insight agency Day One Strategy. Day One Strategy combines technology and human intelligence to help healthcare companies better understand their customers' wants, needs and behaviours. To find out more, visit our website www.dayonestrategy.com or get in touch at inquiries at dayonestrategy.com. Great. Right. Well, that's market research teams that you're trying to put into Room 101. Let's move on to your second point. What else would you like to banish forever? <laughs> well, if there's anybody left in market research that I haven't offended, then I, I, I hope I don't offend them now. But what I would like to put in next, research briefs or indeed data analysis requests, if I could do. Mm-hmm. Okay, so explain to me why you want to do that. And do you mean, when you say research briefs, do you mean research briefs internally from, say, marketing to the insight team or insight team to agency? I do mean internally. So I'm thinking about the the process by which too many insight teams, in my view, allow their agendas to be set for them by the departments and indeed set themselves up as order takers for the departments, as you say, like marketing or product or category management or other operations or finance or, or strategy teams. I guess my, my issue here really builds on some of the, the discussion that we've just had. Insight is, or at least it, it could be, a strategic asset for an organization. I passionately believe that insights done well has got the potential to transform the performance of an organization. But we tend not to manage it like a strategic asset. We tend to set it up as, as I mentioned earlier, like an agency really working within an organization. I just think that that's so short-sighted. If we're going to see insight as a strategic asset, then we need to move its focus far more to developing a big picture view of customers and markets. And of course, generate new insights about things where we have a gap in our understanding, but have a far more holistic view of the knowledge that our organizations need to develop about customers and consumers and markets. So that rather than waiting for other departments to ask us for things, because almost inevitably they're going to ask us for data and research as opposed to asking for our assistance solving business issues, we need to flip things around and see ourselves as what I describe in my book as knowledge farmers. So to see every project that we work on as an opportunity to sow the seeds for greater consumer knowledge within our organizations to then see the outcomes of those projects not only as 
answering a specific business issue, but also adding to a cumulative store of knowledge that we start developing. To set aside time to then cultivate big picture insights from that store of knowledge by thinking about the structures that we have, about our knowledge management systems, all importantly about the conversations between different people in insight teams to talk about what they found out in their work. And gradually, through discussion, to to build up collective understanding about how consumers in a market become customers of an organization and create value for it. And to be able to divide that understanding and structure it by key markets, by key customer segments, by brands, by products, by channels, and see the connections between all these different parts of the jigsaw. Join the dots. And so over a period of time, you then start to see yourselves as the custodians of customer and market understanding. And to be able to draw on that wealth of understanding when talking to the rest of the business about problems that it has or opportunities that you can identify for it. Now, of course, there are going to be times when the business comes to the insight team. Can you help with this? But the more we can build that collective understanding, the more we can help to shape the business's own perception of the problems and the opportunities that it has. So that rather than waiting for requests and data briefs to to come in, we can instead start to position ourselves as trusted advisors of the rest of the organization and to really frame the organization's views and decision makers' views of the problems and opportunities that the organization has. And I think that's just a fundamentally more proactive role for insight in organizations than one which is reflected in the concept of internal research briefs or data requests. So actually, just sort of picking up on your earlier point about, you know, say insight teams kind of taking orders and not being kind of strategic. And I've always had sort of wondered this, how do large organisations, so, you know, sales, marketing and, you know, all the other departments, how do you think they view the insights team? Do you think that they, you know, are given the kudos and the status that they deserve or... You know, just wondering how often insights are perceived and if they're even allowed to kind of have that seat at the table to drive those decisions in some organisations. That does vary enormously by different organisation. We carry out a lot of benchmarking work at the IMA to help insight leaders understand the current capability that they have and the priorities for the team development. And one of the questions that we, we often used to ask was around the stakeholders' views of of insight and how often the insight team got got good feedback. Now, we used to see pretty positive results on that particular question, but you then used to compare the results on that question with lots of more qualitative questions about the way in which insight departments were treated, whether they got invited to discussions at an early stage when big decisions were being made or whether they were consulted relatively late in processes around relatively small aspects of decisions that were being taken. And the the picture you start to put together is that insight teams in general are quite well liked within their organisations, but I think very often for the wrong reasons. That They're liked because they're full of very, very capable, conscientious people who carry out extremely professional pieces of research and analysis work, and in so doing, 
satisfy superficially at least the requirements that decision makers have but we're making i can say we're making life too easy for ourselves in the short term we're making life too easy ourselves by just trying to please people and to request at the level that they're given but i don't think we're doing ourselves any favors long term what happens is that if insight continues to operate at that sort of quite tactical level, then we're always going to be regarded as a cost rather than an investment. And it's very difficult to elevate the perception of insight to that sense of being a trusted advisor who needs to be in from the very start where business problems are being defined and framed in the first place. We're always playing catch up. We're always being invited to the party once the rules have been set. And we're operating within uh, borders, if you like, constraints that have been set by the assumptions of the rest of the organization about what role it is that, that insights there to play. So I'm not sure if that answers your, your question, but I guess what I'm calling for there really is a, a fundamental rethink of, of insights role in the organization, its position, if you like. And the, the whole question of, of briefs and ways of working and interacting with different departments, that's just one aspect of that broader sense of what role an insight plays within its company. Great. And actually, it's interesting you say there, you know, sort of insight people tend to be sort of people pleasers and are well liked. And I can kind of completely see that. I do wonder whether it is the type of personality that is drawn to insight and, and research and data that perhaps, I don't know if that is that part of the the challenge there and that perhaps you know in our personalities we are sort of that way sort of um, inclined I don't I don't know perhaps that's something about the type of people that go into research perhaps as well I, I think there probably is having tried to put uh, groups that label themselves as market research teams into room 101 first and then research brief second you know I do want to make it clear that I've got so much respect and indeed affection for, for so many people who work within internal market research teams and so if I'm describing some of those people as people pleasers it's not done as a, a criticism but I, I do think that there is an aspect of quite a lot of people's character who work in the, the research industry where we prize the short-term praise that we get for doing the immediate job well more highly than if we were to step back and think, what difference could this part of the organization make to really big decisions and what role could it play in transforming an organization's performance over a period of time? Because the latter necessitates some really difficult decisions with people. It it demands that we say no to a lot of requests that come in, or at least have far more detailed, critical discussions with decision makers before we embark on new pieces of work. Discussions about why they're seeing the world in the way that they are, why they frame the project that they're looking at, how they have, why they believe that their options are limited to those that they've described to us. And in doing that, we can... I believe, get the organization to a far more richer, more commercially, sustainably commercially successful position. But that does take some difficult conversations. I don't think, to your point, that a lot of people who often work within research and analysis roles are particularly drawn to, to those confrontations. Okay. Right then. Well, shall we move on to your third item for Room 101? And then 
we can decide actually what we are going to banish and what we're going to keep. So what is your third item? So number three, I would like to banish the concept of insight teams treating commerciality as a dirty word. That's interesting. So this actually might sort of follow on a little bit about what we're talking about, the types of people perhaps that go into research. So expand a little bit on what you mean by this. So when I I worked at the, the bank for many years, nothing would wind me up quite to the extent that I would be wound up when I had conversations with people who would say, oh, well, we would love to do that in in our insight team, but the bank won't let us. Or, oh, yes, it'd be great if we could do that, but the bank would never do that. Because what it seemed to be reflective of was an idea that the insight team was somehow divorced from the bank, that it wasn't part of it, that it was maybe seeing itself as the voice of the customer, which can have its advantages, but I think is a, is a very limiting place sometimes for, for insight teams to be and is actively unhelpful if it perpetuates an idea that there's a distinction between the customer and the commercial. We've just had our insight forums in November, as I, I mentioned to you earlier, and in both London and Manchester, we were having a, a chat about this and this sense that insight teams often see their work as being to improve knowledge about customers and then it being somebody else's work entirely to think about any commercial implications from those those pieces of work. And so you then have a discussion about whether insight teams ought to become more commercial. I think it's probably the case that quite a few people working in market research and analysis within bug organizations from time to time find themselves a bit beaten up because other people, their managers or other departments say, oh, you need to become more commercial. So my suggestion is that insight teams try to reframe the way in which they think about this concept of of commerciality. I believe that sustainable commercial success relies on organizations harnessing an understanding about customers as well as, of course, a whole load of operational data and understanding about their role as providers and the, the value exchange that takes place between customers and providers. So you've got this, this golden triangle, if you like, with three points. You've got the customer, you've got the provider, you've got the financial exchange, which takes place between the two. And commercial success or sustainable commercial success means that organizations need to embrace data and understanding and insight from all three parts of of that triangle. Now, insight teams have have clearly got ownership of all the stuff relating to customers and markets. So it's only logical that the organization can't achieve its commercial success without the insight team playing a, a very leading role in helping the rest of the organization to understand that part of the, the triangle. But I also think it's the case that insight skills, in other words, the ability to analyze different data from different sources, to be curious about how things work, about the connections between things, to be reflective about the underlying themes which are represented in the the data that we see and the conclusions that we can draw from that. Those skills are absolutely critical to joining together data from the three different points of the triangle. So I think that really effective insight teams don't narrow their focus purely to providing customer and market insight. 
they see their role as being proactive consultants who can help the rest of the organization achieve its commercial success by helping to build this model of understanding that draws from both customer and market data, but also the linkages between product and operations data and financial data, data which often sits in very different silos within the rest of the organization, but which I think that insight teams ideally with their helicopter view of uh, of the big picture, are far better placed to join together than almost anybody else within a company. So do you think at the moment the, the challenge here is that they are they just don't want to do this or that they don't feel they have permission? Or, you know, what's the barrier? Because, you know, it may, again, it makes complete sense and you can kind of imagine the benefits of this. But I'm just trying to work out kind of what needs to happen to, to remove that barrier to allow it to happen. Well, I think you'd ask that question about quite a lot of what we might refer to as best practice in insight management. And the answer is often the same, that we're too busy doing other things. We are too busy operating. Again, I'm going to sound as if I'm being very critical here. I don't mean to be, but I believe that too often we're we're too busy acting as research factories or part of a data analysis production line where we're measuring success in have we completed the project that we're on or have we turned around the email request that's come in or have we trafficked the production of market research from a request from an internal stakeholder to a market research agency and then back again to that decision maker within our our organization. We just see ourselves very much as cogs in that that wheel, parts of of that production line. And we have our heads so deep in the desire, understandably, to do that role well and professionally and conscientiously that we don't take time to step back and reflect on whether ultimately that's actually moving our organizations forward enormously. One of my very first managers in what we would now think of as as an insight, often used to say to us when we were doing pieces of work, is this going to be one of your scrapbook projects for the year? And what he meant by that was, was there the potential in this issue that we'd been engaged to, to work on for the findings that we came up with and the impact of those findings on our organization to be one of those very few things that, that any of us get chance to during the course of the year, which would truly make a transformational difference to to our organization. And if it wasn't, you would say, well, why are we spending our time on that then? Because we know, don't we, when we're looking at our data, the, the power of thinking about 80-20s and that some aspects of an issue are always going to have a disproportional effect on the, the outcome of anything. There's always this tension between volume and value between the quantity of something that's done and the the depth and, and the uh, of aspects and yet we don't seem to apply that thinking to our own work somehow and we measure ourselves by the volume of requests that we can satisfy or the number of emails that we can turn around each week it's not really a to use a, a phrase that you're hearing quite a lot at the moment it's not really really an essential 
way of thinking about it. The, the book Essentialism by Greg McKeon, I think, is great on this. It describes how most people, when reflecting on what they've managed to achieve over the course of a year, will observe that they've made a millimeter of progress in a million different directions. Where really successful people, you think about all our athletes that win gold medals at the Olympics or professional musicians or people who are, are, are great artists or achieve success in, in any walk of life, by and large, they've chosen to put a disproportionate amount of their effort into a, a relatively small number of things. And by constantly applying the discipline of doing those things, they've really excelled in them. We sort of all know that that's true, but we don't really apply it to how we manage our work within research and analysis and insight teams, I think, very often. And so we perpetuate a situation where we're, we're doing lots of small things as well as we possibly can, rather than thinking, what are the relatively small number of big things that we could do which would actually make a difference? And I think this focus on commerciality is absolutely one of those big things. I think that's quite a good point, actually. And I think Every business, many businesses in any walk of life, I think probably are guilty of this. You're busying yourself, doing things that you think are important but actually aren't. And going back to your analogy with the athletes, I know there's a story about one of the rowing team in the Olympics who they said every decision they made, they asked themselves a question, will it make the boat go faster? And if the answer was no, they didn't do it. And that even included going to the opening ceremony. They said, look, if we go to the open cer- opening ceremony, we're going to be up late. It's going to be exciting, but, you know, maybe we'll be affected because of it. And so they didn't go. And, you know, I think that's quite a good way to, to think about business as well is, look, if it isn't going to make the boat go faster, then why are we doing it? And is it a good use of our time? So I completely agree with that one. Right. So shall we sum up and then decide what to actually ditch into Room 101? So, so far, we've had market research teams. By that, you sort of mean more joined up kind of insight, less siloed, uh, you know, market research working with, with the data analysts on a sort of broader uh, scope than they perhaps do at the moment. Number two, we put research briefs into Room 101 or, or attempted to. So by that, you mean sort of not taking orders, being more strategic. So I think you said knowledge farmers is something I wrote down when you were talking about that. And then finally, treating commerciality like a dirty word. So measuring, I guess, success in commercial outcomes and not just the number of jobs ticked off a list. And I think for me, to be honest, I think the thing that we are going to, I want to put into Room 101 is that last point. So treating commerciality like a dirty word. As I say, I think that this applies to lots of teams uh, no matter whether you're agency side or client side. And I also think it is the thing that could make the biggest difference if you have that change of mindset and were thinking about things in terms of, well, why am I doing this? Is it worth my time? Is it going to make, make a difference? And if not, then perhaps prioritizing something else. Then just think about the the difference we could make within organizations. So for me, I think that's what's going to go into Room 101. I don't, I don't know what you think and whether you agree with me or not. I'm very happy with that outcome. Very happy indeed. Brilliant. Okay, well, thank you very much for coming on the podcast today. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I know it's quarter four, so it's quite busy. So I really appreciate your time. So thank you very much. Not at all. Thank you for having me. 
You've now heard from our guest, but the big question is, what would you put in Room 101? We'd love to hear your views. Get in touch at inquiries at dayonestrategy.com and let us know your thoughts on where our industry is heading. Thank you for listening. Subscribe to get notified when future episodes are released.